All right, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and, and turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1. We'll be looking at two verses tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is going to be an introduction to Ephesians, so we're not going to be jumping in real deep tonight. Uh, hopefully it won't be a, a very long message as well, since we have other events taking place a little bit later in our services. But um, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So go ahead and turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every blessing that you've shed upon us. Lord, again, we just pray for all these requests that have been mentioned earlier. And uh, God, we trust that you can take care of each and every one of them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help our church, lead our church. And uh, Lord, teach us through your word as we open up Ephesians and as we endeavor to explore this book. And, uh, and God, I just pray that your, your spirit would lead, you guide me to what needs to be said. And Lord, that you lead our hearts to the truths that need to be known. We thank you so much for uh, all that you've done for us. We're, we're thankful for Jesus Christ. We're thankful for who we are in him. And uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to understand more about that as well. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, tonight's message is just going to be an introduction to the book of Ephesians. I, I've been praying and uh, I felt led studying this book for a couple months now. And, and um, I feel led to go ahead and preach through this. Um, I know in, in times past, I've kind of uh, just, just flowed on through the book, uh, but Ephesians is just so packed with, with stuff that we need for our lives. I, I want to spend an adequate amount of time uh, studying through the book of Ephesians. There's so much that we need as a church, that we need as individuals, and I, I hope that God will just use this to grow us personally and to grow us as a church as well. Now, let me start off by saying that the book of Ephesians has been deemed by many scholars as the most theological of Paul's letters. That means it's, it's just deep. It's packed with truth. Uh, and uh, and some, some really, uh, again, deep things about God and about, uh, about our relationship to Him and, and who we are in Him. And so uh, even from the opening remarks uh, here in chapter 1, Paul takes us directly to the depths of the doctrine of salvation and predestination and the church and what it means to be in Christ. This is a book that we're going to spend much time on because it sets in order for us, both doctrinally and practically, the kind of Christians and church that we are to be. Yet before we dive into the book, let us take a moment to pass over it first and, and get an overview of its background and content. So that's, that's what we're going to spend our time doing tonight, just getting a feel for what the book's about, uh, what it, you know, the general ideas that are presented here. Now I want to say this first, I... Uh, I've read a book a couple years ago that has just been a, a tremendous help to me. Uh, it's called Experiencing God. I've spoke about it a couple times, but it's written by Henry Blackaby. And I, if you don't have that book, you've never read that book, uh, I highly encourage you to, to write that down and, uh, and go look it up. Uh, you can get it at Lifeway where my wife works. You get it for, I think it's like 15, 20 bucks, something like that. But it is a life-changing uh, little book. Of course, it's based on the Word of God. Uh, but one of the things that he says there in that book that just really stuck with me is he says, anytime that someone's going through something, 
Anytime somebody's struggling with an issue, they're struggling with a sin, uh, they're struggling with a trial going on in their life, uh, he says he always wonders what truth it is that if they knew it, it would change their situation. Some of us are going through some trials right now, aren't we? We're struggling with, with who we are. We're struggling with uh, what God wants from us. Uh, you know, some in the world are struggling with whether or not there even is a God. Uh, some of us are struggling with uh, situations, the circumstances that come up in our life. Some of us have, have a habit or a sin that we have tried and tried and tried to, to kick or get rid of. And, and we're, you know, we're still faced with this all the time. And so we need that. You know, I, I think this is an important question to ask. What truth is there from God's word? That we don't know now, but if we were to learn it, if we were to know it, it would, it would set us free from the situation that we're in. And, and what I really hope is that Ephesians, as we dig in, because like I said, it, it is so rich with truth, that as we dig in, that hopefully God would, uh, would unlock some things. So, some things that maybe we didn't quite understand before, some things that maybe we, we had never even been introduced to, and, and that hopefully He'll enlighten us uh, in our minds, in our hearts, and, and that through this book and through this study, He can begin to change our life with some truths that can speak into our, uh, our own situations. And so that's what I really pray that God will do uh, with this book and, and for us as a church. What is it at, for us as a church, Calvary Baptist Church? We talk about individuals, but what is it about us as a church that God wants to do with us, but we're struggling with? That, that we, we're running into some walls here uh, because there's some truth that we don't know yet. And, and, and perhaps those truths that we need to know, those things that need to be revealed to us that can change our, uh, the way that we work as a church, the way that we operate as a church, uh, you know, those very things would be right here in the book of Ephesians as we study through this book. So I pray that we'll have an open heart and open mind to whatever the Spirit would have to say to us individually and as a church together. Now, I want to just first of all, I want to give an introduction to Ephesus, and we'll, we'll look at some observations of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a city uh, in, in what is now known as modern-day Turkey, over the western side of, of the country. Uh, it was known then as Asia or Asia Minor, and, uh, and so Ephesus was a, a very large and important city of, of that area. Ephesus, at the time of Paul, was probably the fourth largest city with a population estimated at around 250,000 people. Now, that doesn't sound like most of us here, because in Orlando, of course, we have, you know, that's, that's only a section of Orlando. But to the ancient cities, this was a very, very large uh, city, a very large community uh, to have uh, around 250,000 or more people. The city was famous for the Roman road that linked it with the rest of the world. Just right through the middle of it, there was this straight uh, road. The straight, it was called the Roman road. And uh, if you were traveling from one part of Asia Minor to another, and you were going through Ephesus, that was the road that you were going to take. It was going to take you directly straight through the middle of town. And you know what's interesting? As we study the book of Romans and, and some of the other places, we, we have something in Scripture that we call the Roman road. Y'all ever heard that? And that's how we'll lead people to salvation, by taking them down the Roman road and sharing certain scriptures with them about the gospel and about the truth of God's word. And that, that's where that, that title comes from, is that Roman road that went straight through the middle of this city and several other important cities at that time. Um, it was also very well known for the Temple of Diana, uh, which was a goddess, uh, you know, a false god that they worshipped back then, one of the idols that they had in town. And uh, the, the city made... 
uh, they made a fortune by producing these these little idols and selling them. And and of course, uh, the only the best way that I can explain it, y'all know that a hundred years ago people didn't have nothing to do. Y'all do realize that, right? I mean, we get bored if we don't have something to do in 20 minutes. They, they would go in their entire life without anything to do. I mean, it was just boring uh, living back then. And so to, uh, to them, the Temple of Diana was like the Disney world of the ancient, of the ancient time. They would go and, and see all the sights and smell all the smells. There would be, there'd be stuff you know, cooking and burning and, and stuff like that. You would walk in. I mean, this place was just immaculate. Uh, a huge temple that you could walk through, and they had the finest art. It, it was like a it was like an art gallery. Uh, some of the most expensive art of that time would be hung there and, and kept there. And uh, I mean, stuff that was appraised at that time it just you know ungodly amounts of money. And so it, it was a place to go and discover. It was a place to go and travel. And your rich people at, at that time, of course, they would want to make uh, trips over to Ephesus and be able to see the temple. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about the seven wonders of the world, y'all ever heard of those? The Temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was that immaculate. And, uh, and so th- they were very famous. The, the city was very rich and, and, uh, and, of course, lucrative because of that temple being there. You know how uh, Disney brings all this revenue into, into Orlando. Well, that's kind of what the Temple of Diana did for the city of Ephesus as well. And so anything you wanted was right there in town. You could, you could get it. Any vice you had, anything that you uh, wanted to be involved with, they had it all there. You didn't have to be bored. Now, as we talk about the book of Ephesians, we have to understand that uh, there in the city of Ephesus, Paul established a church there, and it was referred to as, they had a very original name, it was called the Church at Ephesus. We like calling this the Church of Orlando, you know, and, and so that when we, when we talk about the Ephesians or uh, the Church at Ephesus, that's what we're saying. It was a city, it was a place on a map, and this was a church that was located in that time. Now, keep in mind, this was the onset, this was the beginning of, of churches spreading throughout, uh, throughout the, you know, the, the Western world. And so there weren't any other churches. They weren't competing with the other church down the street at that time. They were the church at Ephesus uh, at the time that, that Paul was writing to them. The church at Ephesus was planted during Paul's second missionary journey. Paul only stayed with them for a short period of time then, but then he later returned uh, to Ephesus and remained with them for three years, teaching them and, and showing them the truth. The church at Ephesus later began to plant other churches throughout Asia Minor, uh, some, if not all, uh, that are labeled as the seven churches of Asia. In, in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, it talks about the seven churches of Asia, it lists several different cities' names of the churches that were there. Um, probably most all of them came from the church at Ephesus. Just like we at, at uh, Calvary here, we started several churches in Florida as well. Uh, we've got, what is it Highland up in, in Ocala? In Gainesville, sorry. We got Highland up at Gainesville. Uh, I believe the church at Titusville came from us. Uh, we've got Calvary and Deltona as well. So our church has started up uh, several other churches as well throughout the years. And Ephesus served in this, in this way uh, that they would send out churches to other surrounding cities as well. And so that, they were a very important city, and it was a very important church at that time. Now, of course, if they're getting a letter like this written to them, there has to be a crisis that's being addressed. And we find that as we read through the book of Ephesians 2. Most of the epistles uh, or the letters were written by uh, spirit-led men to confront a crisis or a question that had arisen in, in the several or the different churches or, or in Christianity as a whole. 
In Ephesus, there seems to have been a couple of false teachings that were being spread around. And there was a rise in tension among the Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus to set forth the truth. Uh, he did not do so with harshness as he did in the Corinthian letters, but with the depth of God's love and the heights of our seats in heaven. And uh, we'll discuss that quite a bit. You're going to see several times it talks about us being seated in heavenly places. And uh, right now it may not, may not mean a whole lot to you, but when we grasp what that means, that we're seated in heavenly places, that right there, well, that'll change your life. Amen. That'll change Amen. how you think. That'll change the way that you look at things. That as a child of God, you are seated in heavenly places. You are in Christ. And we're going to cover all kinds of those terms as we go through this book. Now, I want to give you a, a real quick outline of the epistle or, or the letter. And so you've got your, your Bible there in front of you. You're in Ephesians chapter 1. And so I just want you to flip along through with me as, as we look at this. Uh, basically, in Ephesians, there are six chapters to the book. So it's not very long. And the, uh, the book is, is naturally divided into two major sections. We have the first section, which is chapters 1 through 3. And then we have the section, second section, which is chapters 4 through 6. All right, and that's, that's the way that we're going to approach this book as well. We're going to, uh, first, we're going to focus on the first three chapters, and then we'll, we'll focus on the last three chapters. But it's naturally broken up into that division. Now, in chapters 1 through 3, what we have are doctrinal teachings. These are things that they needed to know. Uh, it's things about, like, being seated in the heavenlies, or being in Christ, or, or being rich uh, as, as part of God's inheritance, and, and different things like that. Those were things that they needed to grasp, things they, they needed to get a hold of. What it means to be saved, and how their salvation came about, and, uh, and what God did to provide salvation for them. Those were all things that they needed to understand. And so chapters 1 through 3 goes through those different teachings. Now, I want to summarize these chapters just as, as well as I can. And if I had to, to just make a summary uh, statement of chapter 1, what I could say that Ephesians chapter 1 about, it, it's all about our riches in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 is all about our riches in Christ. Now, if, you, if you're in chapter 1, go ahead and look at verse 3 there with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Man, there's a whole bunch right there in that verse. Uh, but, but chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us what the whole chapter is about. It's about our riches in Christ. What it means to be a child of God and the things that we have access to as a child of God. Now if you flip over to chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2 talks about our change in Christ. Chapter 2 verse 1 talks about that what we were before. Before Christ, we were worldly. We had a different nature. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But because of his mercy and his kindness towards us, uh, by grace we are saved through faith, is what we find there in Ephesians chapter 2. And so then it goes on to tell us about this wonderful change that's been made in our lives once we trusted Christ as Savior. And then chapter 3 is all about our unity in Christ. Now, if I am a child of God, and I have been brought out of sin and brought into Christ... And now I've been brought into a church filled with other believers who have had the same things happen to them. Then, then of course, God wants harmony in the, in the church. He wants harmony uh, between each other. He wants us to get along, but not only just to get along with one another, but that in unison as one church, as one body, he will be able to use us to 
make a difference and make an impact in the world around us. And so that's what chapter 3 is about. It's all about our unity in Christ. Now that we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we're a part of the church, what that means to us and how we're to function together in order to carry out the mission of God. So chapters 1 through 3 are all doctrinal teachings. They're just things that we need to know about who we are, what the church is, and how uh, and what our role is in all this. Then if we look at chapters 4 through 6, chapters 4 through 6 are all about practical teachings. Practical means the stuff we can use, the stuff we can do. In other words, it, it would be like this. I was, I was telling you this morning, I gave you some doctrine this morning. I told you that we are free in Christ. That we can have freedom in Christ. Now that's the truth. That is a truth that you need to know. But if I stop right there and I don't tell you how to access the freedom that you have in Christ. Then you're going to walk around with the knowledge that you have freedom. But you're still going to be in the change. You're not going to know how to break out. You know? and, and so uh, what I want to do over the next several messages and, and Sunday mornings. I want to teach you how to experience that freedom in Christ. And so that's practical. That's, that's stuff you can do, stuff that you can uh, be a part of and experience. And so uh, the last three chapters are about those practical teachings. After he tells them all this stuff they need to know, then he goes back and he teaches them how to, how to live with it and how to, how, to, how to do those things. So in chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 21, uh, we're talking about walking worthily of, of God, you know, this calling that he has given us. Uh, if we're a child of God, if we really love Jesus Christ for what He's done for us, then we want to live for God, don't we? Four people said amen. We, we want to live for God, don't we? We, we, want, we want to please God with our lives. Verse 22 through chapter 6 and verse 9 talks about godly relationships. Talks about marriage relationship. Husband and wife. we got husband and wife in church that's fighting all the time. They don't even like each other. Right? They can't stand. And so there are relationships that need to be worked on there. And, uh, and, and the Bible tells us how to, how to do that. If you're, living, if you're not respecting your, uh, your husband wives, and if husbands, you're not loving your wife, there's going to be problems in the household. And uh, you don't bark orders at your wife. Do you? Do you? And get away with it? No. No. I heard a preacher say it like this. He, he said, if you're trying to, to get milk from a cow, and you take that rope and you're just jerking that cow around, and you're saying, get on over here, you old dumb cow, and give me some milk. And I, he, he says, you, you think you're going to get milk from that cow? No. But if you walk up and you, you pet her and you say, Betsy, you're a good old cow. He <laughs> says, she'll, she'll be giving milk all the way to the, to the bar. Right? You get more flies with honey. Husbands, you, you got to love your wife. If, if you want her to respect you, if you want her to love you, if you want to, to, to work in harmony with her, husbands, you gotta, you got to treat her with love, treat her with kindness. Now, I, I don't learn sometimes from those lessons. And, uh, and so there are times that I walk in and I want to flex you know, my muscles and authority uh, and, and, you know, to Nikki and say, hey, you're going to do it. And, and you know how that works out? <laughs> Not very well. Not very good. And, uh, and so I, I have to love her. But, but wives on the other end, you have to understand that men are made a little bit different. And uh, we, don't, we don't always just want to be loved on, but, but we respond to respect. And uh, the Bible, you know, it, it points this out in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, wives, respect your husbands. And it tells the husbands, husbands, you love and you nurture uh, your wife. 
That, that's how you take care of her. And so it, it teaches in the marriage how we respond to one another so that we can live in harmony uh, in our marriage. It talks about the, the, uh, the children and, and the parents. It talks about the employees and, and the uh, employers and all the different relationships that we have and how we're to behave in those relationships. And so uh, chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, verse 9, talks about those godly relationships we're to have. And then chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 24, it, it, they are some of those action-packed verses that we have in the book of Ephesians. And that's all about spiritual warfare. Here's something you need to know, okay? I'm not going to take a long time saying it, but here's something you need to know. If you're a child of God, you've got an enemy right now that's fighting against you. Amen. And, and, you know, the best thing that he can do is make you think that he's not there to, to have you confused as to why this stuff's going on. But I want you to be very aware that if you're a child of God and you're making commitments to him, you are going to be engaged in a battle. It's going to be a rough battle. It's going to be a battle that you're, you're not equipped to fight. Let me tell you this. Satan is a fierce enemy that if you try to go up against him on your own, you're going to fall every single time. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion that's, that's walking around seeking who he may devour. And if you let him, Satan will ruin your life. But here's the great thing that Ephesians tells us is that we don't have to fight Satan alone. But it says instead what we can do is we can stand in the armor of God. And so he says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the day of adversity. That you may be able to stand as the war is waging against you or raging against you. And let me also say this as well. Another important thing we have to understand there is that we're not putting on our armor. It says we're putting on God's armor. Now, who can fight against God's armor? Nobody. And Satan's not even equipped to do that. So when we stand in the armor of God, we realize who we are in Christ, realize that we are the sons of God, that we're the people of God, that, that uh, we are seated in heavenly places, and, and that we have God's armor to stand in and his weapon to use against Satan and the attacks that we're going to encounter, then, you know, then, then we're going to be able to stand in that day and know that, uh, that there's victory in Christ. And so that's what chapter 6, verses 10 through 24 are all about, our spiritual warfare. Now, any way that you look at it, Ephesians is, is designed to teach us who we are in Christ and then instruct us as how to live as Christians. I have a couple of different ways that people have broken this book down. John Phillips says that the book is about the Christian and his blessings, and then it's about the Christian and his behavior. Warren Wiersbe said that the book is about our riches in Christ in chapters 1 through 3, and then our responsibilities in Christ in the last uh, three verses. Robert Gundry says that it's about our spiritual privileges and then our spiritual responsibilities in the rest of the chapter, or rest of the book. Uh, Baker says that the book is about, in, verses, in chapters 1 through 3, it's about what God has done, and then in 4 through 6, it's about what God is doing. And then J.C. Baxter says that the book is about uh, our wealth in Christ. You know you're wealthy if you're a child of God. Amen. Your bank account might say something different right now. But there's a different kind of wealth than just money in the bank. And so, so it talks about our wealth in Christ, the, the inheritance that we're a part of. But then chapters 4 through 6 talks about our walk in Christ. And so any way you want to look at it, we've got teaching in the first three chapters. We've got practical advice in the last three chapters. 
Now, I want to close this by, by just giving an overview of the book. As we've discussed, this letter to Ephesians was written to deepen their understandings of who they were and what they have in Christ. The key verse of this whole book is Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, where it talks about the, the fact that he wants to bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The term in Christ, or some form of it, uh, is mentioned 32 times throughout the book of Ephesians. Love comes in second, being mentioned 20 times throughout the book. Love. You think love's important? Yeah. Absolutely. It's not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling, but uh, we'll get into that as we look through the book. The, the word spirit is used 15 times, where grace is used 12, the word church is used 9, and riches, which is another key verse or a key word throughout the book, used 6 times, but it's alluded to several other times. It talks about our wealth in Christ. The flow of the book seems to suppose that the more we understand about who we are in Christ and connect ourselves to that identity, the more it should affect the way that we behave on earth as citizens of heaven and members of his church. And so I hope this study in Ephesians is going to do just that. It's going to help us get connected to who we are in Christ so that we can then go out and walk, standing in his armor, working in his spirit and his power, connected to his riches in heaven, and accomplish his kingdom purpose for us here on earth.